Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Jason Carini, an attorney who works in recruiting for the legal industry in the Bay Area. And now, our first letter. I think it is my turn to read this one. And the subject line is really uh, perhaps not the most accurate description. Yeah, yeah. I think this letter writer is maybe being a little too scrupulous. They could stand to have fewer scruples. I think that's probably true in general. <laughs> so the subject is profiting from death. Dear Prudence, I'm one of three siblings. Our parents recently died and left behind a complicated estate. There is both a trust and a small estate that will have to go through probate. Lacey is the trustee and I am the executor. Sharon doesn't have a job connected to this, but there's no reason that she wasn't selected by my parents for either role. The will and trust divide all the assets equally between the three of us. Both jobs require a lot of paperwork, although there's more accounts to deal with in the estate. Recently, I learned that both jobs have the right to claim payment for the work. I wasn't planning on taking a fee, because the estate's rather large, and there'll be a fine inheritance for us all. Except now I find out that Lacey is planning to take a fee. I don't think she should, but now it feels like I'd be a chump if I don't. I suppose it feels additionally annoying because not only did Lacey lobby for the trustee role, but it doesn't have nearly as much work as my executor role. Should I take the fee and split it with Sharon? Keep it? Donate it? Tell Lacey she's being greedy? I mean, I think um, take the money and and be happy about that. I mean, you're doing a lot of work. I mean, that's what the money's for. I mean, that's why it's in there. Um, yeah. I think Lacey is not necessarily being greedy because she's also doing work and taking the money for that makes sense. That that struck me as odd. Like, it's not profiting from death. You're both doing a lot of, like, bureaucratic administrative work. It costs money to do work. It makes, like, I don't think yeah. Lacey's being greedy for saying, if I'm allowed to take a stipend for doing this work, I'd like it. Um, it might be different if, I mean, if this was a, a small inheritance and most of the inheritance was going to go towards the fees, if they took the fees, that might sure, be different. Sure. But it sounds like, you know, it's the opposite situation and there's plenty of money to go around for everybody. This doesn't sound like a problem. This sounds like, uh, Wait, you know, I think the fee is small potatoes compared to the rest of it. And it doesn't even sound like Sharon objects to not having the job. Like, it doesn't seem like Sharon's upset and like, hey, if you get money, will you split it with me? So... I'm wondering if maybe there's some additional resentment against Lacey that you kind of weren't aware of until this came up. But I, yeah, I think the thing here to do is let it go. And there might even be, I mean, I don't know, if there is some kind of issue with Sharon that we don't know about, maybe talk to, I mean, communication might be part of the answer. Talk right. to Sharon, see how Sharon feels about it. Yeah. Maybe Sharon's cool. But as, as you know, it, it's true. There's two jobs and three kids. So Somebody wasn't going to get the job. It had to be somebody. My one question is, at first, the letter writer calls it a small estate, and then they say the estate is rather large. Hmm. And I kind of, it's sort of like how when people want to talk about, like, getting a lot of money, they're like, well, we're not, we're not rich, we're comfortable. Or, like, <laughs> we're well off. And so, like, this kind of trying to, it's not that much money. We'll, we'll be taken care of. There's a fine inheritance. It is a large estate. Like, I'm well, just, yeah, I'm just curious. I mean, I do think that it might be, uh, 
this might be the lawyer and me reading too much into it, but they talk about a trust and a small estate and then later talk about, it might be there's a lot of money in the trust is I guess what I'm wondering. And then the estate is not as large compared to this trust or something like that. I but. see what you mean. Yes, that's absolutely a possibility. But yeah, I, I don't think you have a real problem. I don't think you're prof. I mean, you have a problem in the sense that like you're doing a lot of work because you lost your parents. That's very sad. Right. That part um, um, does sound very sad. So. But at least he's not taking any money away from you. You are also allowed to take money. It's not, something you're getting away with like you've done the work that entitles you to the money yeah if it would make you happy to donate it it's always great to donate your money yeah you know if you want to buy sharon a present just because you like sharon do it yeah or i mean i don't know there maybe even um <laughs> then Lacey would give out well i don't know <laughs> but uh if sharon is like annoyed about this or if you want to include sharon like i don't see any reason you couldn't uh have sharon do some of the executor work and compensate sharon for it even yeah. like you know there might be something that could be worked out if um if there's some kind of lingering issue with it but i but i really feel like you're doing work uh i, I happen to know that, that work is very annoying work uh <laughs> very time consuming uh i think that you deserve to be paid for it yeah so you know good luck this will be over eventually and you will have your fine inheritance and the work will be done so that's all good news would you take our next letter? Of course. Son Gone Fugitive. Dear Prudence, my adult son, 34, has struggled his entire life with addiction. He's been arrested and jailed 50 times for public intoxication and disorderly conduct in three states. He finally committed an act charged as a felony, stealing a funeral van with the keys in it. This is the first time he's been charged with a felony, even though he didn't damage any people or property. His court-appointed lawyer and I worked for six months to get him into rehab. The judge finally released him into a year-long religion-based uh, rehab program. While my son was in jail, I funded his commissary account and phone account. I spent another $400 to buy what he needed for rehab and transporting him 200 miles. In less than 48 hours, he went AWOL from rehab. He had banked much of the commissary money, which the jail released to him in the form of a debit card. Rehab called his lawyer, the lawyer called me. It has now been 96 hours since my son became a fugitive and he hasn't contacted me yet. Should I report him missing? This feels like a crisis that I keep pushing down, but it won't go away. Any advice is welcome. I mean, my first response here is just, I'm so sorry, this is really distressing. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the worst. Yeah. I think that normally if um, you're in rehab for some way that involves courts, um, the rehab will also have reported that to the courts. And so I think that probably people already know that he's missing. Right. I think there was that fear of like, maybe the lawyer called me and no one else, but I'm sure, you know, because rehab called the lawyer, the lawyer called me. Right. I'm sure that both rehab and the lawyer have called other people. I, I would imagine so. I certainly, I don't think that it could hurt. Like if you wanted to also report your son missing, I don't think that that would hurt anything. I can't think of any reason that that would be a, a, a problem for yeah. anybody. I mean, the, um, if you told them the circumstances, I could imagine the police saying like this we won't file a report, but I also don't know what standards the police have for filing missing persons reports. Right. I think that that it's almost certainly the case that the police will not be taking this very seriously, um, but it depends a lot on where you are and then specific circumstances. And Right. Or they might I, be I taking it seriously hurt. in the sense of the rehab called, we're trying to arrest him. Right. 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 Uh, but I think it's right. I certainly think it's more likely that they're going to be thinking about it that way. Yeah. Uh, I guess I would say if your son does contact you, um, I think that you should tell your son to turn himself in. Yeah. Uh, and I think you should tell um, his lawyer and and possibly the, uh, I don't know if you're in contact with any of the like kind of court people about this, but um, I think you should let your son know that you have to let people know that you, he has contacted you. Because, because I, I think what you definitely don't want to do is get into a situation where you're kind of inadvertently 
aiding him in being a fugitive from, from well, I mean, of course, I'm assuming all along here that um, that he still is on a, like some kind of sentence and that that's, you know, kind of part of all of this, that there's some um, some stuff lingering in the background. I assume he's like on probation or parole or something. Yeah. And that's how he's in. The, and so there's some uh, some legal issues that he's he's kind of causing himself here too yeah and and again i just also want to stress i'm just really sorry on a number of levels this is really hard um it's it's really hard to be involved with someone whose life is as chaotic as an active addict can be Uh, it's also really hard that there are ways like while diversion programs may do some good to have one that's religiously motivated and to have the court say, like, this private religious take on rehab is an important, like, that sucks. That shouldn't happen. I'm I'm so sorry. I can imagine a number of ways in which being uh, forced to endure religious propaganda is not helpful for an addict. Um, and I also understand that there are a number of ways in which um, being arrested 50 times for public intoxication is not a helpful approach to somebody's addiction either. And I say that without saying, like, it would be impossible for your son to hurt somebody in the throes of his active addiction or he he, he shouldn't ever be held um, responsible for his actions. I, I just there's a lot of ways in which the system is not set up to actually help treat addiction so much as eternally punish and then try to, you know, funnel off into a religious organization. So I'm just also aware that there's a lot of um additional pain here beyond just your son's addiction i i hope in in addition to all this if you can get yourself to and i'm aware that this is a like spiritually motivated program that often has very religious people in it so take this with a grain of salt but if there are al-anon groups near you um or secular versions of al-anon groups near you please consider going to one It, it might help you to know that you are not the only parent of an adult child in crisis um, and that there are other people who have had to figure out ways to develop lives that can involve peacefulness, happiness, contentedness, usefulness that don't rely on, I'll only feel these things if my child gets sober. Right. Uh, and in fact, you know, I, I um, what you were saying earlier, I mean, I think uh, our system's almost, it's almost designed to make it harder. For, I mean, I think uh, if you wanted to create addicts, you might come up with a system closer to ours. I mean, our system uh, is very, very, very bad at um, trying to help people who have um, this kind of, these kind of issues. And uh, no, it's just really, really complicated and difficult, and I have no good answers. Yeah. Um, being a parent myself, uh, it's terrifying to me to think of <laughs> like... Uh, Think of having one of my children out there uh, and not knowing where they are and expecting that they're in trouble. I mean, that's basically the you know up up there with the scariest things I can think of. Yeah. So I have I have an incredible amount of sympathy. Yeah, and so I think the part that feels like a crisis is is the fact that like right now what you have that's untreated is like a, a devastating and painful relationship with a person in active addiction. So like you can't go find him, right? You can't hunt him down yourself. You don't have those resources. You can't make his legal problems go away. So there's nothing in terms of going out and trying to find and fix your son that you can handle right now or that you can be responsible for. But what you can do is is get help, whether that be through support groups, whether that be through a therapist, whether that through just be through calling your friends and saying, I need to talk about this. Yeah. But, as as counterintuitive as that might sound, because right now it might feel like the only way I'm going to get through this is if we find my son and he's okay. But that can't be the solution to your problem, because then that would mean you could only experience like peace if your son did something. 
Right. And you need that for yourself no matter what he does. So I, I think as as weird as it might feel right now, you need to prioritize looking after yourself. Absolutely. If he contacts you, you'll you'll be able to to pass that information along. But right now, you need to tend to yourself. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 